while you're looking through the periscope, you're gonna must destroy various. <sighs> while you're looking through, <laughs> all that for a tiny belch. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Yeah, we'll see how that works. You sank my battleship. Pretty sneaky, sis. I always wanted electronic battleship. My parents would never buy it for me. What is the point of electronic battleship? Uh, it's the sound effects. That's all. I mean, it's just sound effects. Set up a soundboard yeah. while you play. Ooh, that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> Something I never thought of when I was a kid playing Battleship is that you don't even need to be in the same country to play a game no. of Battleship with somebody. Mm-mm. That's crazy. And I was just actually thinking. Uh, I wonder if it's out on uh, cell phones so that you could uh, like oh, I'm play. Sure it, it, it probably is. You know, one game I was kind of looking for to see if they had on uh, cell phones was an official version of Deal or No Deal, and I haven't been able to find mm-hmm. one. And um, there's only one bit of strategy in that game. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but at the very, you know, you, you pick a case out of a hundred or like, out of like twenty five or so, and then you every round you open a number of cases, and the banker gives you a deal, you deal or no deal, and then you go, you know, until all the cases are the left are yours and the last one. And you know the Monty Hall problem. You're a reader of the straight dope, so yeah. you know it. Yep. The strategy says that at that point, you swap the case. Because I'm not going to go into the details here, but the strategy is at that point, you swap the case. But the new last time I saw a deal or no deal on television, they got rid of that at the end. Hmm. So there's no strategy left in the game anymore. It's pure uh. luck. And I don't like things that are pure luck. There's got to be at least some sort of strategy, which is why I don't like slot machines. There's no strategy. Exactly, yeah. You know, video poker, blackjack, you know, all of the the other stuff. Sure, there's some strategy. You actually have an effect on the game. Yep. But, uh, yeah, you take away the strategy, then you you might as well just give me all your money. (laughs) I'll waste it on better bad habits. Well, hey, when I go to Vegas, I never play blackjack anymore because now all the casinos that payouts what six to five now, which is yeah. ridiculous. Ugh. But I kind of anyway. i I do understand six to five payout in one regard. If the table has a minimum of say five, then it makes it easier to pay out than say a three to two. But yeah, yeah, that's the only case I understand it. Otherwise, you're just getting ripped off. I remember when they first oh, yeah. introduced six to five uh, blackjack uh, years back. Bally's uh, advertised our sit on their on, you know their electronic board outside the casino. Our single deck blackjack pays out a whopping six to five, and I'm which like, is less than a three to two payout. Yeah, and I'm like, Ugh. it's because people are stupid. They're the mm-hmm. same people who think that the who was it Burger King who no it was A and W versus McDonald's. McDonald's ah, came okay. out with the quarter pounder. A and W to one yeah. up them came out with the one third, but people thought the quarter pounder was bigger because a four is yep. bigger than a three. Yep. Not if it's in the denominator, it's not. I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it wouldn't surprise me. But at any rate, so. anyway. Oh, hey, uh, this is uh, what? what uh, do you want to introduce? Sure. Why not? This okay. is episode one thirty-eight, and I'm certain of it this time of the Pie Factory podcast. <laughs> With you once, Pie Factory. Yes. Uh, with you once again, as per usual, is me, Jimmy G. 
And with you again, as usual, is you. No, wait, no, me, me, I. No, I, I. Because when you use a verb of existence, you have to use the nominative Mm. case. So with you, as always, is I, Sean. And we welcome you once again to our humble abode. Or abodes, plural, because we, Sean and I don't live together, not for lack of trying. But, uh, oops, hold on. I hate when that does that. There we go. So, uh, how have you been? (laughs) I've been, uh, I don't know. I've been kind of all over the place. That's how I've been. I know one thing today, the day we're recording with 520-2023. Oh, which, by the way, uh, happy birthday, Eugenio. Happy birthday, Eugenio. You're going to hear this later than your birthday. Yes, but we're recording on your birthday, so that counts for something, right? Yeah, right? yeah, yep, 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 yep. But yep. yeah, this has been a busy day. Uh, f- twice a year, we do this thing called, uh, we pack food for a uh, charity called Feed My Starving Children. Uh, we do it once in the summer, once around Thanksgiving time, and so we did that early. And then my wife is like, oh yeah, we also need to go to Costco. And I'm like, ugh. Fine. She's like, oh, let's go to, to the new Olive Garden in Joliet for uh, for lunch. And I'm like, that's going to be crowded. It's brand new. It's not even like four weeks old. Oh, it'll be fine. Yeah, it's a yeah two hour wait at 2.30 in the afternoon. So we went to Costco and my wife and daughter went out there and I just napped in the car. There you go. And uh, I don't go to Olive Garden because I live where there's plenty of real Italian Well, I don't know what the situation is in Joliet, but, you know, we had... We had some good food, but it was still not worth waiting two hours for. And then it's like, get home. I wanted to take a nap before doing my notes, but the time we got home was like 5.30. So I dozed off for 45 minutes and like, oh, crap, I got to get my notes together. And I have been doing some research into it previously. Now, don't you worry, folks. But it's uh-huh. just I hadn't gotten my notes together. So what you going to do, you know? But that's where I am for today. So busy, busy, busy. I had a whirlwind day today because, well, uh, it was a nice day. I happened to wake up earlier than I expected. And I thought, hmm, let me check something. And I, because I have a new bike Mm -hmm. and uh, where I get my bike and biking accessories, they uh, have a thing where once you do 30 miles on your, on your new bike, you bring it in and they'll do a a little quick tune up on Mm -hmm. it. So I looked at my Strava history and sure enough, I passed that threshold. So I rode my bike down to, well, first I had to drop off some shoes at a cobbler on, in Lincoln park here in Chicago on Armitage. Peach cobbler. Uh, I wish. Oh, me too. It's a shoe cobbler. Mm, I love cobbler. Something I don't recommend tasting by the way, but, uh, man, I had forgotten that that, that little part of town becomes a major Lululemon festival. Good Lord. Oh, With God. With people inexplicably trying to think that they can park anywhere near that area. Yeah, folks, if you're going anywhere near Armitage and Lincoln Park, don't think you're going to be able to park somewhere. Just the brown line is right freaking there. Just take that thing. Leave the parking for the tourists. <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> so I dropped those off. Then I went over to the bike shop mm-hmm. and said... Hey, I'm ready for my 30 mile servicing. And could you put a new kickstand on this thing too? And they said, sure. And I'm thinking I'll drop it off. I'll leave, come back in a couple of days because I thought that on weekends, they don't like doing that because Mm -hmm. weekends are busy. But the guy said, well, if you can give us 30 to 60 minutes, I was like, what, what? (laughs) So I texted my wife. I said, she said, no, you no, just please. I need you to come home because I want to go out and all this and that. And so within a one hour period, I was on my bike. 
I was in a brown line train. I was in a red line train. Then I was in a bus. Then I went home from the bus, basically changed my clothes really quickly, grabbed the car keys and left. So five vehicles, an urban vehicular pentathlon, if you will. And when I got home after getting all those errands done, I said, I am not leaving this house again. It was time for sweet, sweet loving. Oh, well, no, because uh, <laughs> then I was left home alone. Oh, well, you know, you got kisses from Lola. No, no, oh. she she just looked at me and went back to sleep. Oh, yeah, that's right. She is so, a beagle. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's just been a crazy day. So, Sean, I might be wondering, uh, what have you been playing? Oh, might you be? I uh, might be. Let me start with some arrivals that uh, arrived, pardon the redundancy, here at Pie Factory Headquarters North Division. Uh, there were four Atari 7800 homebrews that I ordered a long time ago. Uh, they finally arrived. Uh, let's see, one was I haven't tried yet, and I only bought because I had to because of reasons. Uh, because it's what's called Dragon's Havoc, and I'm just not one of those dragon people, you know, I'm not much into the fantasy crap. If I'm not mistaken, uh, isn't that like a puzzle game or? No, uh, Dragon's, there's Dragon's Cash, which oh, is. Oh, that's a, what I'm uh, thinking of. It's a Columns clone. Yeah, that's really. what I'm thinking of. Okay. There's a reason I got this, and um, I, I'm not going to get into it right now. Uh, let's see. Also, Bob DiCrescenzo's port of a game I never heard of until he was actually starting to work on it, and that's Uni Wars, mm-hmm. which I haven't tried yet. And uh, I know Victor and uh, other Sean Lion Gets. covered it recently on 10 pence, but I really don't remember what they had to say about it because I was so unfamiliar with it that I kind of zoned out. Mm-hmm. But apparently, uh, when Bob was working on this, he used it as a basis for a Galaxian clone. Too. Oh, really? So, so I guess this is going to be Galaxian-esque. Also, I got Bob DiCrescenzo's 40th anniversary Pac-Man collection. Oh, wow. Which is different from the previous Pac-Man collections because basically what Bob did for this in... Uh, I mean, I don't know if this is exactly what he did, but it looks like what he did was basically he dumped the graphics straight from the arcade game. Oh, wow. So the graphics are arcade perfect. Fascinating. And the screen scrolls up and down, yeah. kind of like Junior Pac-Man, so that, that way they can fit it in full resolution and everything. Oh, wow. The sound is phenomenal. Uh-huh. The cartridge you get in the Atari Age store is just built-in Tia sound, but you'd never know. Really? You'd never know by listening to it. Well, there was that one, uh, what was it, 8K Pac-Man for the 2600 that used Tia Sound that was really almost arcade perfect. Yeah, seriously. I I did not buy Pac-Man 4K for the 2600 because I'm holding out for 8K to come out. Uh-huh. Because it is that good. It is so, it is so amazing. And uh, let's see, finally, and I have been playing a lot of this, uh, Daryl 1970 and Atari Boy 2600 on Atari Age. Mm-hmm. I think the programming was mainly uh, Daryl. Uh, Atari Boy 2600 did everything else, like the the manual, the box, the artwork, and everything. A arcade port of Popeye, which is insultingly good. On the 7800? On the 7800. It looks fantastic. I've been kind of eyeing that one while it was in development. That is, that is a stunning port. Yeah, it's about 95% accurate. There's only one thing that I've noticed that's not quite accurate yeah. to the arcade game, and that's when you're walking past Brutus when he has the bucket on his head. Because uh-huh. on the 7800 version, he just passes right through normally, but on the uh, arcade version, 
he kind of almost warps across Brutus. I've never noticed that. Yeah. I'll have to check that out again. I mean, I haven't played Popeye in a while. I actually prefer the way it's done on uh, this ver- the yeah. 7800 version, though. Well, sometimes, you know, they, they, it's better on the port. Yeah, and there's an Easter egg in there that I haven't figured out. The, th- the manual kind of hints as to how to activate it, yeah. but I haven't been able to figure it out. But cool. uh, those were my uh, 7800 pickups. Oh, dude, and you asked what I was playing. Um, six days ago from when we're recording this, it was Mother's Day. Well, uh, because my brother lives in Ohio, and he, he drove out from Ohio... We did all of our Mother's Day stuff on Saturday, so mm-hmm. fr- Sunday I was free on Mother's Day, so I uh, played some arcade games, and um, after several years of trying, I finally bested my centipede score. Really? Yeah, because for the longest time I've been clinging to 232,000-something, I finally made it to like 240-something. Not that much higher, but still. Mm-hmm. Man, somebody I know once said, small victories are still victories. Yep, that would be me. And if I understand correctly you got punished for saying that yes i did <laughs> what was that on that was on oh yeah was that on was a, on reddit, was on reddit. Yeah, yeah yeah it was oh god that was a... yeah i looked at the rule because when you were talking about that i looked up the rules just to be curious mm-hmm. Man, it's that thing is like walking on shells because anything you you could say thank you and it could be misinterpreted as like for those like, uh seriously? who wanted to know somebody was uh I don't remember what he was posting, but it was about how he was successfully uh, took a... The subreddit was r slash depression, and this person was posting about how he actually got up and took a shower. I responded, small victories are still victories. And um, he got in trouble because, according to the to one of the moderators, he was making himself out to be better than everyone else. And I got that thrown at me. And um, another rule about... Uh, Bumping up with uh, illegal posts. And I'm like, if that's the rules, I don't need them. <laughs> Whatever that, I, I don't know. That was that was just so insane. And uh, so, yeah, Reddit, ugh, Reddit is interesting, but I'm not going to go there. So. Yeah, yeah, Tevs. I mean, it's got its good stuff, but as long as you don't post, you're fine. <laughs> Oh, and of course, I played the games we will be talking about for this particular episode. Oh, but I figured I probably should do that, so mm-hmm. I have a little bit of idea what to talk about here. What about uh, you there? Uh, um, what the hell's your name? Jim. Well, I uh, did make one trip out to Galloping Ghost, and I played a couple Ooh. of the games we're talking about tonight. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I saw that their most recent unveiling was Rescue. I thought they had Rescue. I thought they had that, too. Retrocade, I know. Oh, maybe it's Retrocade I'm thinking of, because Retrocade, I know, had it. Yeah, yeah, we we played it there. So maybe that's just, uh, huh, the Mandela effect at work, I guess. Yeah, it could be. But uh, there's there's a lot of that with Galloping Ghosts and Bailings. People are like, wait, didn't didn't they have it? it?" No, it turns out they didn't. (laughs) But uh, the... uh, It's just some games you expect them to have. It's, oh, mm -hmm. the ghosts will have it. Turns out they might not necessarily have it. Have it among their almost 800 games. Or we actually, no, they're over 800 now. Yeah, they're over 800. They're, Good Lord. Yeah, I, I I, don't know how they do it. I really don't. So I have been uh, also playing some games on my N64. Uh, I found uh, an interesting game that I've been kind of playing a little bit. Uh, Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, God. It's, yeah. 
it was developed by uh, Titus, the same company that did uh, Superman 64. Did they do the original Blues Brothers game too? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, but this game is interesting. Is it as good as the movie? I haven't seen the movie, but I'd say it's probably better. <laughs> but it's not a great game. It feels kind of generic. And then there's this, every now and then there's a stupid rhythm game you have to do before you can move on. And that's kind of where I'm stuck on it right now. Uh. It's not terrible, but it's not great either. It's kind of more mediocre, which I guess is a bigger sin. <laughs> mediocre is a bigger sin. That's That's some irony right there. So I've been playing that a little bit. Uh, I've been playing more games on my phone. Oh, God. You know what? <laughs> How is the whole advertising in-game economy... How is that... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sustainable. It's like you're advertising games that you have no intention of downloading, and they keep advertising them in your game. And how is... It? I, I don't get it. It's, it's like the games are almost always awful. I download one every now and then to try it out, and I'm like, yeah, ads... You know, it's like ad servers with a little bit of game between the ads. Yeah. How is that sustainable? I, I just, I don't, I, I don't get it. It's just like, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to describe, but it just doesn't seem like to me that there's much of a market for to pay oh, for the Oh, there is a market. It's called ignorant preteens, probably. Yeah, that's, you're, yeah, you know, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, here we are being all ageist and everything. No, it's nothing against preteens. It's against ignorant preteens. That's the ones true. who aren't ignorant are more, they're smarter than that. That is true. But yeah, it, it just boggles my mind. I mean, it's one thing if a game has an ad to get like a special bonus or whatever. Sure, fine. I have no problem with that. What I do have a problem with is a game being interrupted between every level with an ad yeah. or interrupting you like every 30 seconds with an ad, especially like if you're in the middle of something. And it, it's, it's like YouTube ads in a way, because YouTube will spring an ad on you when somebody's like right in the middle of a sentence. And I hate that. And I get that all the time. So. Oh, yeah, that's awful. Yeah. The ad economy is on mobile games just cannot be yeah. sustainable. Yeah. Uh, now, when, when I was in grad school for the degree I never finished, um, I was working on an iPod app for one of my classes. And the instructor told me that would be really popular. So make sure you finish that. Mm hmm. So here it is 10 years later. I never finished it. I do plan to, but I've been kind of building it up as a website that it's eventually going to become a app. It's been 10 years in the making, but something I was thinking about was, man, I put a lot of work into this and I would like to get some money from this, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I don't want to offend people. So right. I'm thinking, how can I monetize this? And, you know, I'm thinking I can think of all kinds of companies who would love to advertise on this, but... Man, my deal would be banner ad and nothing else. Nothing mm -hmm. disruptive. If you don't like it, take a hike. And I'll be happy to share the names of uh, companies who disagree with that. I know in a previous episode, <laughs> I shared the story of this um, formerly really great solitaire app for my phone. Oh, yeah. It had the banner yeah. ads. And uh, I'm like, you know what? This is pretty good. I'll pay the $10 for the ad-free version. And then later, they're like, uh, they paywalled some of the variations and i'm like you know what this game is really worth it so i'll pay the extra 20 bucks and then the ads came back and not only were they just banner ads but they were banner ads with sound oh jeez! and to turn it off they wanted like 70 bucks what and i'm like no i, I got rid of that and it wasn't the best solitaire app i ever had on a phone either also 
And that's what really cheesed me off is like they they just got greedy. I understand mm-hmm. wanting to get money for what you've done, but uh, that's just yeah. over and above the pale. That's a phrase I've never used before. Hmm. Hmm. So, so that speaking of previous episodes, Jimmy G, mm-hmm. are you pondering what I'm pondering? Uh, yeah, but where are we going to find a duck and a hose at this hour? I will tell you where, in a segment called Addenda and Errata. Uh-oh. Now, Jim, for Addenda and Errata, well, actually, I don't think it's Errata so much as it is Addenda, but each of us has something. And I'd like to go first because mine is kind of anticlimactic, so I'd rather have yours with a bigger impact go second, if you don't mind. Sure, why not? Okay, thank you. Uh, You may remember in the previous episode, episode 137, you talked about how you picked up the, what was it, the C64 Mini? Mm Mm-hmm. And you mentioned how, I, I don't know why I, this totally buzzed right through my ears when you talked about it, but you were talking about how a lot of the games you tried it, they expected the joystick to be plugged into port number two mm-hmm. instead of port number one. The reason for that, and I remember this from my Commodore 64 days, a lot of game developers assumed that you had a mouse plugged into port one. So they programmed their games to look for the controller on port two so you wouldn't have to constantly swap out the controllers. Okay. That's my addenda for that, just to kind of give you there a little background There wasn't much that used a mouse on the C64, was there? Well, there was a uh, GUI for the operating system called Geos. I remember that. that. a lot of people used. In fact, it came shipped with mine. Okay. So people who use that a lot, I mean, you could use a joystick with it, but most people prefer to use a mouse. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's probably one explanation. Yeah, also for desktop publishing, I think. It's still a pain in the ass, but you know, at least I got a few games working on it. I haven't yeah, really touched that thing. It's... I was expecting it to be more interesting. I don't know. But I have a bit of an addenda. Uh, <gasps> no. Yes. I, I don't Do know tell. why. Uh, I don't remember why this came up. But um, and this is an addenda for episode. Hold on a second. Let me go back. Oh. Oh, there it is. Episode 122. Oh. Going back specific. I'm not going to say which which game this deals with yet. but Okay. For some reason, I was on one of the uh, Mystery Science Theater groups on uh, Facebook, and uh, there was talk about uh, Mr. the short Mr. B. Natural. And I was curious to see if there was any pictures of Betty Luster um, <clears throat> au naturel out on the, uh, out on the internet, and uh, there isn't. But uh, I came across some interesting information about Betty Luster, who played the titular Mr. B. Natural. In more uh, ways than one. In more ways than one. Mr. Wow. B, you're hot. Joel was right. She was hot. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, to give you a little background, Betty Luster, I was born on April 27, 1922. She passed away on May 25th, 2011 at the age of 89. Her earliest known one. stage performances were as a showgirl with Dorchester Hale Dance Troupe in London in October of 38. And oh. uh, she made a series of appearances on BBC television in 1939. Going down a little bit... Um, Luster served as co-hostess of the 1950 CBS game show Sing It Again. And hmm. uh, ba, 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 she appeared on Broadway. In 1957, following her filming of Mr. B. Natural in Chicago, she took a non-performing position on the production staff for CBS, CBS TV's Name That Tune. Really? So Mr. B. Natural, <laughs> if it wasn't for Mr. B. Natural, we wouldn't probably not have name. Well, we probably would have Name That Tune, but it probably wouldn't be in the form that we have it now. 
Good so Lord. I thought that fascinating. And Interesting that she filmed that, that Mr. B Natural was filmed in Chicago. I looked that up and, uh, yeah, it's partially filmed at WGN. Yes. In fact, that, was, that must have been when the they were one? still at the Tribune Tower before they moved over to Bradley Place. There was another short on Rift Tracks, and I purchased it. I can't think of which one it was, but it was something about cooking or whatever. And that was filmed at the WGN studios. Interesting. And uh, it, the, the whole thing was like, even though it was about food, it was like they did it like uh, they were taking a tour of the TV studios. And the short the subject that they were uh, they were filming at the time. But actually, if you look at the, the credits for Mr. B. Natural, it does say uh, one of the suburbs of Chicago. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. Hmm. But uh, so, yeah, Mr. B. Natural uh, is part of uh, Name That Tune and is therefore very tangentially related, uh, you know, uh, germane to the topics we talk about on Pie Factory Podcast. <laughs> That's that's just craziness. And the crazier thing is that I never saw the Mr. B Natural short until probably about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Somehow in all my MST3K watching, it eluded me. And, oh, by the way, uh, her co-host in that, uh, Buzz Turner, uh, was played by Bruce Podwell. And they remained actually good friends uh, all throughout uh, their lives, uh, by the way, which is kind of cool. And uh, Bruce Podwell died in uh, two years after Mr. B. Natural in 2013 in New Orleans. Huh. March 29th, 2013. So, yeah. So, uh, I guess that's tangentially related, but I thought it interesting for fans of both uh, Pie Factory and Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. With which I am both seen as I am the host of one of them. Huh. Yeah. Co-host of one of them, so. And uh, same, same. Moving on, do we have any uh, errata? I don't think we do. I don't think so. We haven't had any errata. It's it's getting kind of t- lonely. I keep telling you, man, we're doing a bang up job being accurate. Well, let's see what's on the Atari Age forums. Oh boy, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, Plaid Mouse actually replied uh, twenty eight minutes ago. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, and, uh, and not only that, but on Mother's Day, once I reached my centipede high. That was, I think, the earliest I ever left Underground Retrocade, at least in the last several years. Because I thought, man, I was planning to stay here until closing, but once I did this, I can't do anything else. <laughs> I'm done for the night. Uh-oh. Uh, we're gonna, you're going to have to chastise uh, S. Ramirez. Oh? He spelled your name wrong. He didn't spell it phonetically? He spelled it S-H-A-W-N. That is so wrong. It's spelled phonetically, if you speak Gaelic. If you speak Gaelic, but most people don't. But, uh... By the way, I know I saw that post from, uh... Oh, well... So, yeah, I already knew that he did that, but I'll let it slide. Not even gonna mention it here. Okay. Hyde, cut that part out, okay? Good. So, yeah, uh, join us. Join us on the Atari Age forums. We're in the gaming publications and websites area. And uh, you can leave messages about our episodes there. Or you can join our Discord server... Yep. And uh, join in the fun. So, yep. Yeah. So, there we go. No, uh, no, like no errata, although I'm yeah. sure we'll probably think of something at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right. Should we just move on? Talk about a game I now? Say, yeah, let's uh, move on. Talk about a game now. Uh, is there any particular one you want to talk about first? Oh, man, I would love to talk about, right now, I'd love to talk about Beachhead, but the thing is, number one, I don't think that's an arcade game, and number two, that wasn't on on our uh, schedule for tonight, so. Okay. Yeah. So, 
how about with one of the two games we're talking about tonight? Which one would you oh, like? For to- that, for, for that, um, eh, it's going to be a train wreck either way, so I don't care. All right. Well, you know what? I got my notes up, so let's talk about okay. Subrock 3D. Ah, Subrock 3D. Uh, yes, it's a 1982 first-person shooter distributed by Sega, but it was created by Sega and Matsushita, oh. which is otherwise known as Panasonic. Hmm. Get to why that is in a little bit, but if you recall the name of the game being Subrock 3D, you might have an idea of why uh, Panasonic uh, was one of the developers. But uh, the controls on this are interesting. You got the, the cabinet, you got like a periscope dealie that you were looking through, and I'll explain more about that. This actually serves a purpose to the game, unlike, say, the periscope in, uh, in Battlezone, which, I don't know, I guess it's more immersive. But uh, at any rate, it's just like a periscope where you got like a handle on each side. In the left handle, if you push it forward, it moves the uh, the ship, the submarine or whatever the hell it is you're piloting to the left, <laughs> and you pull it back and it moves it to the right, and then your fire button is like at the base of the lever. Oh, just hit my uh, oh. earbuds there. Ooh. Now, the right lever is stationary, but it's got two buttons. The top one moves the player up, the bottom button moves the player down. So That is an interesting control scheme that I surprisingly got used to pretty fast. It takes a little getting used to. The gameplay is pretty easy. It's it's basically Battlezone, except with a lot more enemies, and uh, you can fly a little bit, too. While you're looking through the periscope, you must destroy various sea and air-based enemies. The score is displayed on the screen as well on this uh, LED panel above the periscope. I guess that's so people who are watching you play from behind, which that's the problem with these games that got, like, the, the viewfinder thing, is it's hard to watch the action if you're not up to against the uh, the periscope because that, that whole thing takes up oh, yeah. most of it, but... Uh, it's even more uh, difficult with this one because at least... Well, we'll get to more about that later. So at any rate, yeah, scores on screen as well as the LED panel. You get an extra life at 80,000 points. And let me see here. I got to open up... I happen to have a copy of the manual here. Oh, really? And um, Nice. This is going to be interesting to describe because it's actually... I was originally not going to go into the scoring until I found out that there actually is kind of a set scoring system. But it's going to be kind of hard to describe what's going on here. So, uh, well, first of all, remember when we talked about Exerion just a few episodes ago? Yeah. There's an enemy in this game that has the shape of one of the Exerion, uh, like, birds. Not the same colors, but uh, if you shoot that thing, it's 300 points. Flying saucers are 500 points. Then you got some sea enemies. They look like they're, I don't know, skiing along the surface. If they're in the distance, they're 1,000 points. They're mid-distance, they're 500 points, and close up, they're 200 points. Every now and then, you'll see an aircraft carrier on the horizon. You get a mystery bonus of 1,500 to 2,000 points. And there's like, uh, oh, maybe that's uh, going head on. Uh, Like one of the uh, ships that like skim over the water coming toward you, those are 500 points. There's um, another... Uh, I don't know how to describe this. It's it's like the the original, the, the first enemy that I was talking about, except with like two legs. Those are 500 points. Those always come in a group of three. And if you get all three of them, you get a mystery bonus of uh, 1,500 to 2,000 points. For each round that you're in, you get 100 more points than the previous round. So say like you're on round two, the flying saucers, instead of being worth 500 points, they're now worth 600 and so on and so forth down the line. So round three, they'll be worth 700. There you go. Now, there's also an enemy called the command ship. He's protected by a shield. If you hit the shield dead center, it basically looks like a red rectangle with like, uh, I don't know, like lines emanating from it. Hit it dead center, you get 500 points. 
The command ship, you get 300, 300, 3,000 points for destroying. And this one, you get 1,000 extra points more than the previous round. So if you're on round two, instead of 3,000 points, you get 4,000 points for destroying it. So as you can see, the points uh, go up at a pretty decent pace in this game. The enemies throw multiple uh, projectiles at you, like uh, torpedoes, uh, missiles, this round trash can looking like thing, which I, I'm assuming is a satellite, and sometimes rocks. They, everything can be destroyed in this game except for those rocks, and uh, or meteors, or whatever you want to call them. I don't know if you get any points for those. It doesn't say here in the official documentation of the game. Of course, for prevention of illegal production and conversion of their machines, a seal showing original seal is pasted on each of the machines produced by Sega or a license seal is attached to each IC board and other kits to be issued by Sega for production of Sega machines. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're happy to know that. Oh, quite. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. This game came up in two uh, cabinet styles, an upright or a cockpit. Totally forgot about that. I don't know if I've ever seen a cockpit, though. I've definitely seen the uh, upright. I've seen pictures of the cockpit, and it seems very, very busy. I, can, I don't know how else to explain it. It's, it's got a lot going on. Yeah, I just got this PDF of the manual shows a picture of it. It's hard to make any detail out other than that it is a cockpit. So there's that with the scoring. Getting back into the uh, connection with uh, Matsushita slash Panasonic, the technology they were using to produce the 3D, Panasonic uh, was actually developing it in the late 70s to be used in a proposed 3D TV they were working on. So they were working on 3D television in the late 70s. That's kind of weird. That was kind of early in that. The 3D effect is made by... uh, I don't know if any of our listeners have seen the uh, 3D imager that the Vectrex game system used, but it basically used a colored disc and it would spin. And I I don't remember exactly how it worked, but that's how... This works on a similar... In a similar way, inside the periscope, there are two discs, and they... Wait, two discs? That's what it says here. I'll have to get some information on that. But uh, there are two discs, and uh, they spin fast to create uh, so fast that that it's like you alternately see out of one eye or the other, and then the uh, the video game itself matches the the frequency. And uh, that method produces a three-dimensional image. I saw the explanation for that, and uh, we do have to give a shout-out to Scott at Underground Retrocade for giving us that explanation of how that works. Mm -hmm. And I got to trust everybody that they know what they're talking about because, man, it just goes over my head. It's just too complicated for my own good. Apparently, the motors fail frequently. From what I understand, they were really cheaply made, and uh, Uh. yeah. So that's why if you see one of these machines these days, chances are the 3D isn't working. And from what Scott was telling me, that they're hard to keep in sync, too. That so. doesn't surprise me. The thing is, the 3D not working, I really don't care. Well, Because <laughs> to me, 3D is just a novelty. It's yeah, like it's, I can see that. It's a bit of a gimmick. You don't really need yeah. it too much. It is mostly a gimmick, but uh, it can be pretty useful if it's done correctly, though. And the interesting thing is that four years, four years later, maybe it was five years later, Sega came out with 3D glasses for the Sega Master System, hmm. and those used a similar theory to create the 3D image, only this time they used liquid crystal displays in the glasses, 
Ooh, and LSD. it would quickly turn them on and shut them off. And they, so they were plugged in. Well, they were plugged into the Sega Master System. And uh, I used to have a pair of those, and they worked really well. And as I said before, Missile Defense 3D on the Sega Master System with the uh, 3D glasses is an amazing... And the Light Phaser is an amazing game. It's uh, it's just cool how, how they work hand-in-hand. Hand. And this I actually found interesting. This is not the first stereoscopic 3D game. Oh. The first one would be 1980s, another Sega game, of course, Space <laughs> Tactics. Now, the title is an acronym for Submarine Rocket. Subrock, Submarine Rocket. <laughs> and there was only one released port of this game that I could find, and that was, of course, on the ColecoVision. Oh, of course. Now, there is an unreleased prototype for the Coleco Atom, which I have played the prototype, and it's readily available. And um, the Coleco Atom prototype adds a whole underwater stage. So not only are you on the surface of the water and above the water, now you're under the water line. And uh, they add an enemy on the underwater scene of a mechanical octopus that keeps shooting missiles and uh, ink at you so that you can't see what you're doing. There's also a net that prevents you from surfacing whenever you want. And uh, there are uh, un- underwater mines that you have to deal with as well. Hmm. And uh, I really like the Atom prototype. I just I don't think it would have been huge even by Atom standards if they released it, but it's still a great game. And uh, that's pretty much how you play the game. It's just one of those basically, you know, just shoot everything and hope for the best yeah. sort of things. One thing I was looking for that I could not find was how, if there's like a, a number of enemies that you have to destroy before the, um, what was it, the command ship comes out and you can get to the next level, but I couldn't find any information on that. So, yeah, there you go. And uh, so, Sean, what do you, th- oh, one other thing, uh, I totally forgot about this, and I thought this interesting, I thought it was on based on the uh, Buck Rogers hardware. It's actually based on the Turbo hardware. So Yeah, it did have a feel of a lot of other Sega games that came out around that time. It did. It's almost as if it were, it were like a template, mm-hmm. and you just kind of replace certain elements of it. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's not like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and The Simpsons, but right, it has the same vibes. I'm not saying that in a bad way, by the no, way. No, 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 I get you. I, I feel you, dude. I, I, I feel your vibe. It's kind of like a Battlezone, except with a lot more going on, basically. So, what do you and think of the game, Sean? What do you have to say about the, the game? You know, when I was playing it, I thought, okay, this actually is a pretty fun game, but I, th- I think that the fun would kind of fade away really fast. I mean, I only played a few rounds of it because, well, I suck at it. Not, <laughs> I didn't feel like I really wanted to invest a lot of time in getting better at it. It's a nice-looking game, with or without the 3D, mm-hmm. and I actually do like the unique controls. But, yeah, I, th- I thought it was pretty cool. The only thing, the only real issue that I have, though is you practically have to put your face up against something to play it. Yeah. And in these uh, COVID times, yep. <laughs> especially because I recently had COVID and I don't want it again because I don't want to be put at risk for hospitalization any more than I need to be. COVID but, sucked. You know, it's like I, I, when, I played, when I played Sub Rock, uh, it was at an arcade. I immediately went over to the counter and grabbed a handful of... Uh, sanitizer and just smeared it on my face yeah actually felt pretty good too the cooling sensation of sanitizer yeah yeah but i got i gotta say i did have fun playing sub rock 3d it was it was fun oh dude speaking of which um 
Is Subrock 3D the game at Galloping Ghost that used to have the uh, marquee uh, set in a water backdrop? No, that was in the hunt. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. yes. Where there was actual water yep. in the marquee. And apparently, until... from what we under, from what I understand, that was a something made by the owner of the cabinet, and that's nothing that was actually in production. Right. And right. they they replaced they it with a regular it. marquee because it started leaking. Yeah. That was pretty cool, though. <laughs> that was, yeah, that, that was the coolest marquee I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. But unfortunately, it's not Subrock 3D, so I can't spend a lot of time on it. So, Yeah. But I guess I might as well just get, since I'm talking well, about my before impression. We, before, well, you want to rate it now, or do you want to talk about scores? No, I'd like to rate it for my own purposes right now, since it's a natural transition from when I was, when I was right. uh, Let me, talking uh, about it. Let me get my spreadsheet up. Subrock 3D is a nice-looking game. And like I said, it has the vibe of, say, Buck Rogers and a couple of their other games. I can't remember what else, though. So first I'm thinking, oh, geez, it's another one of these games. But after I got into it a little bit, I'm thinking, okay, this is a little bit fun. And what makes it fun, I think, is the unique control scheme, mm-hmm. which doesn't take all that long to get used to, I will say. And just trying to learn how to maneuver, how to, and and you're kind of discovering new things uh, with each new lesson that you learn when you're playing it. It's a really cool learning experience, mm-hmm. and I especially like when it goes into nighttime play. That oh, is really cool. yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, it does uh, go from uh, daytime into evening into night, and then back around. It does the whole the whole cycle. And you know, I said before that I don't think I'd play it long enough to get good. I want. I take that back. I think I do want to spend more quality time with it. Quality time. Quality time. And you know, okay, I wasn't going to do this, but uh, on our Pie Factory rating scale of one through five continues inclusive, I'm actually going to rate Subrock 3D four continues. Really? Yeah. I didn't, I, that's, I, I actually, when I first I mentioned- was coming in expecting to give it a three. But with all my thinking about it, it's like, no, this is a four game. When we first mentioned uh, talking about this game, I was expecting you to rate it a three or lower, but then when you mentioned uh, that you had played it and you put an exclamation mark after uh, the fact that you, after <laughs> Subrock, yep, I got to play bang. Subrock 3D. I'm like, he's going to rate this higher than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I rated it higher than I thought too. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to agree with your four. I will say that the one problem I have with this game is it does have the potential to become uh, repetitive uh, pretty quick. That's my fear. Because there's a lot of games that start out good. I mean, I gave Uncle Pooh was like a fun game for like the first three or four levels, but then after a while, just the same maze over and over and over, and it just got very, very repetitive. There's been a lot of games like that that start out good, get repetitive. But um, that's my only real gripe with this game. I think I do like it playing it better with a a joystick uh, through emulation. But, uh, hmm. yeah, but as you were yeah. saying, I mean, once you get yeah. used to the, you, you, there's a, there's a learning curve with the controls, but, uh, it's not a, it's not a, it's steep a fun learning, learning curve. curve. I think. Yeah. It's not a steep learning curve at all. Uh, once you get the hang of it, it's not terrible. So, uh, yeah, yeah I'm going to give it a four also. Uh, and mm, I will tell nice. everybody if you get a chance to play the incredible Coleco Adam port of this game, it's really fun. <laughs> I love all the added stuff they, uh, they did to it. Not the ColecoVision, but the Coleco Adam port. Uh-huh. And with that, do we have a... Uh, oh, we need scores. Uh, yeah, we do need scores. Uh, for Subrock 3D, uh, I used... Uh, as usual, I referred to two frequently used scoreboards, and uh, one being the 
ever-popular Twin Galaxies. Their highest score is from Jim DiMaggio, who scored uh, 3,181,554, and uh, that was submitted on August 15th, 1983. At Orcade.com, spelled A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, Eric Geddes, if I'm saying your name wrong, Eric, I apologize, has their record at 132,050. Significant. That's more than 3 million lower than Jim DiMaggio's 3 million scores, <laughs> which makes me wonder how accurate that might be. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, on June 4th, 2010, uh, Eric played the game at Fun Spot and got that score. Nice. Awesome. So I think with now we should do. Move the festivities along, as it were. Do we have an underwriter? Why, yes, we do have an underwriter. Uh, we'll drop their message right here. Hi, I'm Marshall Brodin, a professional magician. You know, most magic tricks are easy once you know the secret. Now take magic cards. You don't have to be a magician to perform all kinds of amazing card tricks because it works by itself. Have someone take a card, place it back in the deck, tap the deck, it comes to the top. Put it back in the middle, and it's back on top again. Make two or three piles. Whatever pile they point to, the card is there. Now, for more fun, take the top card, tap it, and it changes to their card. Place it on the bottom, and they all change to their card. Cut the deck, and they're all different again. Six or sixty, you can work TV Magic Cards, the mechanical deck that works all by itself. TV Magic Cards, just one ninety-eight at Dominic's Finer Foods, Goldblatt's, or wherever you see the sign, and at Walgreen and Walgreen H&C Drugstores. Well, well so we indeed. got another game we got to talk about here. And when oh, I say we got to talk about, we done. our lives were threatened if we don't talk. Oh, know? crap, that's right. Yeah, because, yeah. uh, you know, being from the Chicago yeah. area and all, with all the mob connections and all that. I mean, you know, like you, living in the Chicago, living in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you got to bow to... Uh, be about to the uh, the outfit, as it were. So, uh, and they yep, uh, pretty much told us today. we got to talk about Frontline. Oh, we got to talk about Frontline, yeah. Which is a cry and shame because I knew deep in my heart that we would eventually be talking about Frontline, and I really didn't want to. Uh-oh. I didn't. And um, kind of as a therapy. Now, those of you who have been listening to our podcast for a long time uh-huh. noticed that at one point along the line trying to get things into some kind of order. Each of us focuses on one game. We both play both games, but each of us has an individual focus. So when Jim asked me, what game do you want to do for this coming episode? Do you want Subrock 3D or do you want Frontline? And I said something along the lines of, I need to face my demons. I, ha- I-, I should <laughs> take Frontline. Because, man... I guess it's therapy is that you just approach the things that just cause you so much anxiety and frontline was such a thing. First, let me tell you all about this game. Cause I can't assume that everybody listening knows what it's all about, but it was released in November of 1982 by Taito and uh, a little bit of technical geekery here. The machine runs off of Taito's SJ system, which comprises of the main CPU being a Zilog Z80 running at four megahertz Sometimes, uh, instead of the Z80, it runs a uh, M68705 running at 1.5 megahertz. The main sound CPU is another Z80, but running at 3 megahertz. And uh, there are some sound chips on board. Four general instrument AY8910s running at 1.5 megahertz. 
and all this on a video resolution of 256 by 224. Now, having said that, there are a handful of other games from Taito that use that same system, including, but not limited to, Elevator Action and Jungle King, and of course the games that spun off a of Jungle King. Also, I like to talk about the control panels because I find them fascinating. On the uh, left side of the control panel, there's a eight-way joystick with a red ball top. Slightly right from the center of the control panel, I've seen two different colors, either silver or black, eight-direction rotary. Uh, it's eight directions in that it'll stop at each of those points. It doesn't just continuously smoothly flow. It's like... And uh, there's also a push-down firing mechanism on that rotary, so it doubles as a spinner and a fire button. Don't know what else... Does Discs of Tron have something similar to that? Um, Discs of Tron, had the, the spinner on that one goes up and down because in later levels you can move the, uh, the target. Yeah. yeah, that's what that was. Okay. On the far right of the control panel... There, I'm actually pointing in that direction, as if everybody can see me. Good grief. On the far right of that control panel, there is a button labeled grenade on the top and tank on the bottom. Ooh, you'll learn why very soon, kids. Now, on the control panel, not on the actual top part of the control panel itself, where you rest your hands and all that, but on the front, the part that faces your legs, that's where the player one start button is on the left and the player two start button on the right. A lot of Taito games are like that. As for the game display, it's pretty standard. At the top of the screen, you have player one score on the left, player two on the right, high score in the middle. You got the playing field in the middle of the screen, and on the bottom of the screen on the left, you got a reserve lives indicator, which is a helmet with an equal sign next to it, a red helmet with an equal sign next to it, and to the right of the equal sign tells you the number of lives you have in reserve. And just immediately to the right in parentheses, it tells you what level you are currently on, and of course on the far right, on that little row, you have the number of credits remaining. Now, as for the gameplay, well, it's a pretty simple premise. You are a soldier whose goal is to destroy the enemy fort. To get to that fort, first the soldier has to kind of run up through a battlefield, up the screen, although technically it's a four-way scroller, uh, even though left and right's not really a scroll. I, we've, I've gone through that in a previous episode. And uh, in the meantime, he's being attacked by enemy soldiers on all sides of him. The soldier, um, interestingly, ArcadeHistory.com referred to the soldier as Sarge, but I have found no other source that calls this soldier Sarge. I have a theory about that, but I'll talk about that a little later. But uh, the soldier has infinite bullets, the way that the weapon is drawn on the screen, it looks like he's holding a handgun, but I think it's just the way it's drawn. It's got to be some kind of a rifle. Militaries don't give you just handguns, so I'm going to call it a rifle. But your character has infinite rifle bullets and infinite hand grenades at his disposal. And that little rotary, that eight-way rotary I talked about, mm -hmm. controls the aim of both of those weapons. If I might uh, just interrupt real quick here. You might. I just uh, pulled up the official frontline uh, operator's manual, and it does not call yeah. the player uh, Sarge. Yeah, I checked that too. It's not. It's not there. Yep. So, so I, don't know I would say the Sarge it's uh, not Sarge. Continue. So whoever edited that entry, whoever ed edited, I can't edited is a hard word. Whoever edited that entry in ArcadeHistory.com, cite your source, please. Yep. 
But um, anyway, if you wish to shoot from the rifle, you push down on the rotary, and if you wish to throw a grenade, you hit the grenade slash tank button that's on the right. Enemy soldiers are going to run after you, and they're going to fire at you with the same weapons. They have their own rifles and grenades, and they duck behind various obstacles, such as trees, brick walls, etc., and uh, there are landmines. Um, by landmines, I mean actual landmines. I don't mean little piles of dog poop, but <laughs> landmines. And uh, they're scattered in various places through the battlefield. One of the things I like about this game is that the landmines will kill either you or the enemy. That it's is not nice, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not like other games where one thing that might kill you is the enemy doesn't die from it. So it's a little bit fair in that regard. Occasionally, there will be a boulder that rolls across the screen. You have to either avoid it or destroy it with a hand grenade. Uh, simply shooting it with your rifle ain't going to do a thing to it. And uh, by the way, here's a fun fact. While your enemies have the same weapons you do, their ammunition doesn't go as far as yours. So you can be farther away and hit an enemy, but the same distance the enemy won't hit you. So it's, that's an interesting little advantage that you, the player, has. Eventually, you're going to reach a point in which your enemies are actually inside tanks. There are two different tanks. There are smaller ones that are equipped with machine gun turrets and larger tanks that are equipped with cannon turrets. Uh, the larger ones move a little bit slower, but the cannons are a little bit more powerful. Your job at this point is to commandeer a blue tank. There will be blue tanks scattered around. You have to get in one of them. Well, okay, actually, you don't technically have to get in one of those tanks, but you're going to have a hell of a hard time if you don't mm -hmm. because you have to fire at enemy tanks and uh, your rifle does nothing. You have to hit them with a hand grenade or firepower from whatever tank you happen to be piloting. So get into a tank. And how you get into a tank, you walk right up to the tank and uh, you hit the grenade slash tank button and uh, your soldier hops right in. Mm -hmm. And if you want to exit the tank, which you will have to do eventually, by the way, you hit that grenade tank button again. When you're in the tank, the, the other controls are the same. The joystick will move you around. Uh, the rotary acts as your turret aim device, and you hit down on the rotary to fire. What's cool about the tank is that it will let you move through shrubbery and I think maybe a few other obstacles. It'll slow you down in those. But, you know, that's what to expect. Somehow on Flatland, they work fine, but in Shrubbery, uh, it slows shrubbery. down a little bit. How did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> oh, by the way, if your tank is hit with enemy fire, mm -hmm. if you immediately hit the grenade slash tank button and escape that tank, you could save yourself. But of course, every time I do that, there happens to be someone else on the ground who shoots me, so... Kind of like what happens in uh, Akari Warriors. Of course, this game came first, so. Yeah, but of course, like I said before, while you are not in the tank, you can still run around. You can fire grenades at other tanks and they'll blow up. Uh, oh, by the way, here's a, a, an interesting thing. Uh, I think at this point we have to bring in, um, well, what's it time for? It's time for another edition of Video Game <laughs> In this edition of Video Game Physics, somehow, although your hand grenades are powerful enough to destroy enemy tanks, both the big ones and the little ones, they somehow just aren't powerful enough to destroy your own tank. So I guess the uh, blue tanks are they're strong enough. I, I don't know how that works because 
the same grenades you have that'll blow up the other tanks won't blow up your own tank, but the firepower on the enemy tanks will blow up your tank. That's got to be very carefully calibrated firepower, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Good night. Oh, uh, one cool thing I, I did notice about this game is that if you're, say, in a smaller tank and you happen upon a bigger blue tank, hey, you can hop out of the smaller one and get in the bigger blue one. So that's that's a cool thing there. And uh, by the way, you'll know that you have a successful hit if you see somebody jump out of a tank and then die and then just vanish on the screen because apparently in the military, when you die, you just disappear. So uh, anyway... <laughs> Eventually, you're going to happen upon the enemy's fort. And I don't know what you think about this, Jimmy G, but man, I think that's a tiny fort because it looks like you can only hold like four people in that thing. Well, seeing as I've never made it that far. Neither have I. Neither have I, but I'll talk about more about that in a little bit. But it is a tiny little fort. It has a turret on it, and the turret will follow you and they'll shoot at you. But what you have to do is hop out of your tank and toss a grenade onto the turret. Turret? Turret. Turret. Sorry. What do you do to a historical place? You turret. What do you don't want to do to a historical place? Turret. turret. But anywho, you throw a grenade on the fort's turret, and then when that happens and the turret blows up, an enemy will run off the screen to the top of the screen, disappear, and then come back waving a big white surrender flag, and then a nice little happy ditty plays so that you can celebrate your victory. Then there's a cutscene in which a blue tank comes up from the bottom of the screen and fires the cannon, and then the cannonball explodes into a message that says, BONUS POINT, <laughs> followed by the appropriate number of bonus points that you earned for that level. And then the game starts over again, but at a more difficult level. So that is Frontline. That's how it's played, or that's how it's supposed to be played. How it's actually played is another story. Because <laughs> what was that you were just saying, Jimmy G? I have never made it that far. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to talk about scores right now, but I am going to talk about my high score, which I've achieved twice to date, by the way. 3,700. Wow. I think the factory default setting to get a bonus tank, and in fact, this is the lowest score to get an extra, not tank, but an extra life, 10,000. Yeah. Wow. Good grief. I might as well talk about the scoring. Uh, every enemy soldier that you kill, you get 100 points. Uh, you also get 100 points if you destroy a small tank. You also get 100 points if you destroy a tank using your tank's turret. But if you use a hand grenade to destroy a tank, you get 200. And because the turret on the enemy fort also is destroyed with a hand grenade, you get 200 points for that. And the end of level bonus is 1,000 points. Oh, no, no, no. Excuse me. The end of level bonus is a thousand point. Sorry. That's all in the first level, though. Mm -hmm. For levels two through nine, all of the scores are multiplied by the level number. So in level eight, you get 800 points per enemy soldier, etc. So you see how that works there. Mm -hmm. Levels 10 and above, all scoring is simply multiplied by 10. So you get a thousand points per soldier, 10,000 points, and a level bonus. Oh, no, no, 10,000 point, sorry. So that's how all that works. Now, there's some uh, interesting stuff that I learned about Frontline in preparation for this episode. Mm -hmm. Now, you talked about how you never got to the enemy fort, and neither have I. Neither mm -hmm. have I. There are no continues in the game. I'm not talking about the rating. I'm talking the actual game. You cannot continue it. Once you lose all your lives, it's done, period. However... 
Dip switch number seven is the no-hit switch. Oh? If you turn that switch on, it makes your character invincible. Really? Yep. Yep. You can walk through enemy fire without getting scratched. You can walk on landmines. Your tank won't uh, blow up on you. So I, I, it might, might be some kind of a debugging thing or something that they just left in. Or maybe a practice thing. But I can't imagine any arcade operators switching that thing on. Yeah. I thought that was that was uh, pretty interesting. Also, something else I noticed in the dip switch. Uh, I'm sure this is true for other games, but I just never really realized it until this. You can uh, set the credit dip switch to be as generous as giving you eight credits for a single coin or token. And you can also set it for as high as nine coins slash tokens for a single credit. Mm-hmm. Nine. Yeah. So if you're a particularly stingy arcade operator, you can set that thing. So if you want to play that game, you got to put in nine coins. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and here I thought Dragon's Lair was a ripoff because they wanted 50 cents. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> I'd like to know if any any arcade has ever set the dip switches that that obnoxiously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But um, there are some home versions of, um, oh, what the hell is this? Frontline. There's the Atari 2600 version done by Coleco. Which is a very good version of the game. It's surprisingly good. It's not bad, yeah. And there's an interesting thing that I learned. There are two interesting things, actually, I learned uh, regarding the 2600 port. I did not get a chance to play it, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. Now, something that I had read, I haven't had a chance to test this to see if it's true, and it wasn't on Atari age. So um, I can't really verify this, but supposedly, in the Atari 2600 version... If you push left and right at the same time, which means that you can't use, like, say, the official Atari 2600 joystick mm-hmm. unless you remove the stick and the cover that covers it and actually push down on the contacts manually. Uh huh. So if you trigger left and right at the same time, then your character suddenly becomes a balloon. Huh. And while you are a balloon, a couple of things happen. If your character gets shot as a balloon... The uh, little theme song that plays when you start the game plays. Uh-huh. If you press the fire button between the time the balloon gets shot and the time the player dies, the level finishes. Hmm. So it's kind of a cheat. Well, let's see. Otherwise, if you press the fire button when you're a balloon, your character turns back into a soldier and kind of appears on the screen as if the character had just hopped out of a tank. Hold on one second here. Let's look at something real quick. All right. I'm just double checking to see. Here we are. I'm just trying the uh, trick in uh, emulation here on Frontline 2600. Oh, okay. And it's not working. Uh huh. So, this is a really good version of this game. (laughs) Yeah, I watched a YouTube video, somebody reviewing it, and at the end they're like, yeah, this game sucks. Really? version i thought when i was watching when i saw the video of it i thought yeah this is pretty good this is pretty decent for what it is especially okay i better escape coleco. out of here because otherwise i'll just be playing that forever that's a good version <laughs> yeah that's especially because really coleco doesn't have a good reputation for their atari 20 undeservedly games. yeah yeah i mean i can understand but you know there was only like maybe one bad game conversion they did and that would be donkey kong jr 
The rest were either mediocre or actually pretty dang good. So, okay, I guess uh, myth-busting right here on Pie Factory Podcast. Now, this wasn't, it could be the ROM that I'm using, it or could it be could the be setup, that, yeah. but in my testing, that trick doesn't work. Okay, thank you for doing that, by the way. The other thing, I'm, not, I'm sure this happens with other Coleco games, but I noticed that in the manual for the Atari 2600 Frontline, when it lists the systems that it's compatible with, mm-hmm. it does not list the Atari 2600 first. You know what it lists first? Gemini? The Gemini. Gee, because I wonder of why that they're is. They're going to mention their own thing first. Yeah. Yeah. For use with the Gemini, Atari 2600 VCS, and other compatible systems. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Good game. Oh, there are some other home ports, by the way. There's uh, the ColecoVision had one. Uh, you sent me a link to a Coleco Atom demo, and it was for Super Frontline, actually. Yep. Which looks a lot more advanced. It looks actually pretty interesting. There's like a waterfront and everything. Yep. A completed prototype, as far as I'm aware, has never been found. Only this Ah. demo. But uh, yeah, the home version is also on the NES. um, And it's it's on a lot of systems in Japan. It's on the Casio PV2000, uh, which is a really compact computer that takes cartridges. And um, its predecessor, the PV-1000, had only 13 game cartridges released for it, and they were mostly arcade ports. Mm-hmm. And um, those cartridges were numbered 1 through 15. The missing numbers were 8 and 13. Rumor was that number 8 was going to be uh, the first Galaxian sequel, and number 13 was supposedly going to be Frontline, but it was never made. Or at least it was never released if it was made. So. Mm-hmm. I took a look. I found a video of the Casio PV2000 version of Frontline, and it looks pretty good, actually. The MSX had it, the NEC PC8801, 9801, and 6001 Mark II had it in Japan. The Sharp X1 in Japan had it, as did the FM7. Now, there's also Taito Legends 2, and that compilation has Frontline in it, and that was available for PS2, Xbox, and Windows. Now, usually I don't mention that, but uh, one of our listeners mentioned that we probably should start mentioning more modern console ports of it, too, uh-huh. because the whole... I'm, I'm sorry, who whoever suggested this, I forgot who it was, I apologize, uh, but the reason being that while, yeah, we might think it's just a straight-ahead emulation, a lot of times these games come with extra features. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, we should acknowledge those. So, which means we got to go back and redo a couple of, uh, we got to do about 100 episodes over again. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> and uh, while I'm at it, um, there's also a Nintendo Switch version as p- that you can download oh, as really? part of the Arcade Archives series. I Ooh. think it costs like uh, eight bucks or something. Ooh, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, check it out. I think it, I think it's a straight ahead. Hey, did you uh, say it was if, if it was available in the Famicom? I must have missed that. Yeah, the NES Famicom. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize it was available on the NES. Well, I think if it's if it's on the Famicom, you could play it on an NES. Not necessarily. Oh, really? Yeah, because while they're the same, the cartridges are different, and then there's the uh, the television uh, stuff. You know, the, the, wait, the, doesn't Japan also use NTSC? I, I think they do. I don't know. I think they do. I could be wrong, but I think I think they do. Now, some sources claim that there's a Commodore sixty four port of Frontline, but. The only frontline things that I could find for Commodore 64 were a completely different game. 
It was a, it's a tank game and it still actually looked pretty cool, but it uh-huh. wasn't the, the arcade for, Oh dude, speaking of, uh, home ports and frontline and Atari 2600, there mm-hmm. is another game on the 2600 called frontline. Now the arcade game is front line, front two slash lines. Yeah. Front space line splash. The Atari 2600 has a game called frontline, all one word. It's basically combat rebranded as a Zeller's game called Frontline. It's I should have known. Should have known it was a Zeller's thing. Yep. How did Zeller's get away with doing that? They're a Canadian company. It's not like they're like South American or Chinese or whatever. That's a Canadian company. I thought they'd be much more polite and not do something like that. You'd think. Huh. And uh, also there was kind of sort of a sequel slash spinoff. Oh? Of Frontline. And uh, depending on where you play it, um, it's under different titles. It's for the Nintendo Game Boy Color. Mm -hmm. And um, I believe in most places it is called Frontline, The Next Mission. This Mission? The Next Mission. In America, it was called Sergeant Rock on the Frontline. Huh. Now, Sergeant Rock on the Frontline, it is very similar to the Frontline arcade game, except it looks a lot better. Mm-hmm. It looks like a lot of fun, too, by the way. And it's set within the DC Comics universe. Oh, really? Hence, Sergeant Rock, who is a DC character. And I'm wondering if that's whoever edited the arcadehistory.com entry called him Sarge. I wonder if that's why. Ah, I wonder could if be. that has anything to do with it. But uh, I don't know if the version that was released in the rest of the world is also a DC Comics version or if it's more generic. I don't know that much. Not that I know much in the first place. (laughs) But uh, apparently Frontline also influenced TNK3 made by SNK, which I took a look at that. And um, that might be a little bit of a stretch because, I don't know, maybe I'm just being too superficial, but it only includes tank play. There's no, like, yeah. There's no run and gun combat. But uh wow, that was a lot to talk about with this uh, little game. Here, I thought I would have more with Subrock. Yeah. Now, uh Jimmy G, where did you first see and or play? Oh, we arcade? didn't talk about that with Subrock. Oh, we well, didn't. but you know oh. what? I think I could kill two birds with one stone on that one. Oh. Uh I'm pretty sure I played both of them at Marriott's Great America for the first time. Oh, it was still called Marriott's at the time? It still was. It was Marriott's up until really? 1984. Why do I think it was Six Flags before that? Oh, man. Nope. 1984 is when Six Flags took over. Huh. Okay. Both of these games I first played at Underground Retrocade <laughs> because I never saw them during my original going to arcades things. I might have seen them, but never really thought to play them because, like I said many times before, as a eight-year-old and nine-year-old, I had a $1 allowance for the arcade. Mm-hmm. And I was very picky about what I was going to spend that dollar on. And I'm so glad I never tried Frontline and wasted a token at Aladdin's Castle on on that because, man, this day, in fact, I showed video, I uploaded video to um, Patreon so our Patreon sponsors can see. I'm playing Frontline for 31 minutes and the best I could do was 3,700 points. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and I also put a video of Subrock as well, which was an interesting undertaking because I was using my phone to video record, and you can't really video record through the periscope without sacrificing your view. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, uh, I, th- I think I, I I somehow like leaned the phone onto the actual 
monitor screen itself and angled it so that the gameplay could be captured. That was a hella hard undertaking. <laughs> but yeah, 30 seconds. Man, let me tell you, Frontline is very, very difficult it's on the actual machine. Yeah, it's definitely a hard game. Have you tried it in emulation? Yes, I have. It's a little bit easier because the... My, really? Well, because of the control system. Any game with a spinner... Uh, first of all, I got my uh, oh, the Pinto, uh, SN30 Pro Plus controller. And I, anything with a spinner, I map the uh, the dials to my L and R button, which the you know, the shoulder buttons. And, ooh, what the hell is all this on my controller? It's like a bunch of stuff all over it. Anyway. By the way, I think we should link that in the show notes because uh, I don't I don't know if we ever linked it before. So uh, the eight bit though might have to get one of those myself because yeah, I found it very difficult to emulate. I mean, and, and with all of the and, oh, and, and this controller also syncs up to the Switch. Oh, okay. Unless you turn on the no hit dip switch, then it's really easy to emulate. <laughs> so I I always map the uh, the spinner to the uh, the shoulder buttons. Takes a little doing to get uh, to you know to get the the analog thing tweaked a little bit, but uh, once you get it set where you like it, it you know it it stays set that way. And then uh, just map the shoot to a button, and then the uh, grenades to another button, and you're hmm. you're good to go. The one thing I don't like about this game, other than the fact that it's <laughs> deceptively hard, is uh, I don't like the way that you have to push on the rotary controller to fire your gun. I think hmm. what would have been better is to, well, better solution would be to do like Trot and have a, a joystick with a trigger on it. And a, yes, a, I was thinking the same thing. And uh, you could also have like a button on the uh, on the top of it for your grenades like Discs of Tron had. But sure. that would be ideal. But uh, I actually did go and play this in the arcade at uh, Galloping Ghost when I went there to play Subrock uh, yeah. recently. And um, it's... Uh, I had played this in the past, but it's just like the, the I don't I, I remember I thought I remember the control being a lot better than what it was, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah, you're definitely wrong. So there. okay, so uh, yeah, not a fan fan of the control uh, setup on this, and yeah. that takes it down a continue for me. Yeah. Now here's the thing: like I actually made two trips, two arcade trips to play this, Ooh. and uh, the second time I went, I realized that. Because you have unlimited weapons for e for both your main weapons, uh -huh. I found myself being a lot more accurate, a lot more successful using the grenades as much as possible. The thing with the grenades, when you throw them, they kind of throw like in an L shape. In an yeah, L they're kind of curved. Yeah, and you gotta you gotta um, uh, how do I phrase this so I don't get something about snakes? You have to look out for that. Oh, you have to watch out for that, like snakes? Watch out for snakes. Oh, something I didn't talk about, though, is that you can have multiple kills in one single fire. Really? One, one with single your gun? shot. Yeah, especially, it's easy to do with the grenade. Well, because, yeah, because you know, grenade's like a, yeah, a, a, an explosion. Yeah, but I, I found that. that with the rifle, one bullet can kill multiple uh, enemies if they're all, like, right on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've done several two in ones with the rifle and it's like whoa that's that's pretty cool. Oh. Still only end up with thirty seven hundred points, but hey. Did you mention uh, about the ColecoVision port that it requires the Super Action controller? No, I did not. But yeah, I remember you told me about that. Yes, because uh, it uses I, the, uh, the for people that have never seen it, the Super Action controller looks like the hilt of a medieval sword with like a cover around it and then the joystick on mm -hmm. top. And where your hand goes, there are four trigger buttons. 
and uh-huh. it uses uh, two of the trigger buttons to rotate your your gun, one to fire your gun and one to uh, throw your grenades. Oh, okay. I was wondering what that was actually, and I I'm not I'm now not going to be able to find out for myself firsthand because effective about 10 hours ago, I no longer have a collector vision Phoenix. Oh. Yep, sold it off. Cuz I just you never I played just, it, but it's just I, fine. I, I hardly ever played it and I didn't I couldn't justify keeping that in the games that I had, so oh, yeah, I, I get like, that. Yeah. But Hey, hopefully uh, the recipient will find a lot of use for it. Anyway, going back to uh, Frontline. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think both these games I first played in Underground Retrocade. I might have played uh, Frontline at the Ghost, actually, but I don't know for sure. But you know, it's like, yeah, I never saw it back then. So I, a lot of these games I never play until now. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but having said all that, uh, should we uh, talk about scores? Should we rate? Let's score. Score. <laughs> you got a score. Yeah, okay, so since I went Twin Galaxies first, I'll go Twin Galaxies second this time. So first, the Orcade.com scoreboard has uh, James White on the top with a score of 117,500, performed June 27th, 2012 at the Galloping Ghost Arcade. And Twin Galaxies has a little bit higher score. John Dunley, or Dunley, I don't know how it's pronounced. I apologize, John. And uh, his score was submitted May 25th, 1983. So 40 years ago, possibly to the day this episode is released, uh, John submitted a score of 727,500. And what did I get? What's my high score that I've achieved twice so far? 3,700. Yeah. <laughs> Good crutch. Good crutch. Ooh. I have to use that phrase. So how about our ratings on our Pi Factory scale of 1 through 5 inclusive continues what do you say jimmy well if it wasn't for my frustration with the control setup and the difficulty combined kind of uh give me yeah i'm rating it a three i want to like this more than i do but you know there it is the thing is i was prepared to come in rating frontline a two or worse Mm mm-hmm and when I was playing this game at RetroKid, now mind you, I'd played it many times before because I was like, okay, this is the only game in this entire row that I don't play. I got to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And every single time, it just ended up making me very angry. And I had to walk away so that I wouldn't cause any damage to Scott's machines. So I walk away, walk out, maybe scream at the top of my lungs, walk back in and try something else. And I was getting so close to that point again until I managed to reach the tank phase. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, there's more to this game. Oh, what's, th- oh, tanks. And I was moving around in the tanks. I thought, okay, I like this. This is pretty cool. When you're playing frontline and it's so difficult, and you're constantly losing lives and, you're tr- and the crappy control scheme and all this, you think that it, all it is is just going to be having these soldiers run after you and fire you and all, fire at you and mm-hmm. all this stuff. But then when you discover the new part, it's like, oh, man, I want to play some more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely some variety in this game. There's variety, and that's why I'm going to say, no, I'm going to give Frontline three continues. Oh, the oh, one other thing I forgot to mention that I, that I did notice about the game. Hmm. For some reason, your character, he doesn't have his chin strap fastened. He doesn't, does he? No, I th- the enemy characters do. Huh. I don't know what the deal is there, but yeah, that helmet's going to fall off. OSHA would have something to say about that. Does OSHA have any jurisdiction over military? You never know. Huh. 
I don't know. I'm I'm not a military guy, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah, neither am I. So that that's frontline. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I will probably try to play this a few more times, like the real thing. Like I'll probably go to the ghost and retrocade and mm-hmm. play some more of this, if for no other reason, to see if I can exceed that 3700 and ideally actually get to blow up the fort. <laughs> and I do like how the uh, animation is a little bit on the cartoony side. Yeah, with the way the, the graphics are, you can't take it too seriously. So, yeah, that's um, our discussion on Frontline. Is there anything else we need to discuss regarding this game? No. Nope. Other than I don't like the font on the marquee, because it's hard to read. Really? Yeah, it really is, because there are times I'd look at that and I'd, I'd say, wait, it's fruit, fruit, line, fruit, time. Oh, this must be an interesting theme game here. Oh, it's a military game. Mm, fruit <laughs> oh, it's Frontline. And if you, I don't know if you noticed this, but the graphic on the cover of the operator's manual mm-hmm. is not the same as the marquee graphic. Oh, I didn't notice that. It's a much clearer font face. Yeah. So it's it like, why is there that difference? Why couldn't they use that same thing for the marquee? I just find the marquee hard to read. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, I guess with that, maybe we should, uh, I don't know, should we do, reveal the theme, thank some people? Let's reveal the theme, thank some people, and then talk about the games for the next episode. And maybe address some feedback. Oh, I forgot about the feedback. You want to do the theme first, then the, fe- then the feedback? Let's do that. Okay, yeah. The theme so is, the theme? I'll, t- I'll release the theme. <clears throat> games that were scheduled to come out on the Coleco Atom, but didn't. Oh, so, yes, uh, as we mentioned, Subrock has Super Subrock, no 3D in the name. Uh, that huh. prototype was found. It was actually found back while the Atom was still a going thing. Huh. And uh, the Frontline demo, which no idea when that was found. <laughs> still looking well, for a prototype for that. I imagine if they have a demo, there must be at least a prototype worked on, even if it's only like 15% complete. But uh, I guess watch this space. <laughs> so Yeah. So that is the theme. The th- like I said, find the uh, Subrock prototype for the Coleco Atom and play it in emulation. Or I think they uh, converted it over to use on the um, the Super Game module for the ColecoVision or the Phoenix. So uh-huh. you, can, uh, you can play it there. Uh-huh. And with that, let us talk about uh, some feedback. Sure. F-E-E-D-B-A-C. Feedback. 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 Dear Jim and Sean, this is from Plaid Mouse, by the way. Dear Jim and Sean, hello. I'm so sorry for missing out on submitting something for episode 137. Got super busy when when I went to sit down to record an audio submission. You guys had already finished the episode. Again, my deepest apologies. Um, You know what? Just a a side note here. Don't let that stop you. Yeah. Still send it out. We can always always apologize. Ever. Yeah. Don't Don't let that stop you ever. We'll take submissions for anything that we've ever talked about. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, potato recipes, so we can uh, get uh, This Week in Potatoes back into production. Hey, we actually have a This Week in Potatoes channel in our Discord server. Yes, we do, don't we? Yep. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, anyway, continuing. So, here are my thoughts on the games for episode 137, Silkworm and Super Cobra, and the games for 138, Frontline and Subrock 3D. Sorry for sending in an email instead of an audio recording, but I was falling behind again and don't wanna, didn't want to miss episode 138. Episode 137 game, Silkworm. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to play this one, but I would like to play it. I used videos of other people playing and information gathered from various websites to get a feel for the game. 
The sounds and graphics hit me with a wave of nostalgia for arcade games from the late 80s. It reminded me a lot of Superman, the arcade game, which is a plus because I like Superman and I like that particular game. We should add that to the list. Yeah, we should, yeah. I really liked the sounds and music and the graphics were very good, especially all the little details of both the foreground and background, like the little helicopters flying some other missions or making their way to come and get you. I also really liked the idea of being able to play this as a Jeep. It adds some variety to the game, which helps with replayability. Speaking of variety, like many side-scrolling shooters, it does seem to get a bit repetitive, but overall it looks like a fun game that I would really like to try, both as a helicopter and as the Jeep. And 3 out of 5 continues. And Super Cobra. This one I was able to play both on an arcade I happened to come across by chance and through the wonders of the internet. Overall, it's a good game. Reminds me a lot of Scramble. Surprise, surprise, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more. <laughs> Second Monty Python reference in this episode. Um, it's a tough game, but one that is fun and slightly addicting. Three out of five. And one th- episode 138, you want to take it over? Uh, well, yeah, uh, do you have any responses to his thoughts there? Or? Nope. I think oh, he's yeah. spot on, but I will yeah. add Superman yeah, I, to the list right now. I'm going to have to uh, agree agree on that. Did I know about Superman the arcade game? Oh, my goodness. I know. I I've know. played this one when it came out. But, and it's another uh, anyway, title game. Oh. oh. But, uh, hey, let's talk about the episode 138 games, uh, Frontline, a war game. I actually hate war of all types. Yeah, me too. Me too, my friend. But I don't mind war games. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> This one would be fun if the controls were easier to understand or worked better. Yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> Made the game very tough to play. Two out of five continues. I, yeah, I can't blame you there. Subrock 3D. I would have gone nuts if I saw this game as a kid. Great graphics, good controls, etc. I really love the first-person point of view and the concept of a sub attacking what I assume are alien spacecraft. It's a tough game, but one I would like to try again when I have more time. Got 2,250 points. Four out of five continues. Um, uh, yeah, I, that, it really is a fun, again, it's because, I think it's because of that learning curve. It's like when you discover, oh, that's how you do that. Oh, this is fun. Uh, getting back to, uh, what, uh, Plaid Mouse says, he says, well, I'm on my way to Las Vegas, Nevada. Hope to catch up with you guys again soon. All right, now, a lot, uh, sincerely, Plaid Mouse. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, duh, where else is there a Las Vegas? I will tell you where there's a Las Vegas. New Mexico. New Mexico, yeah. and uh, Just there, like there's there, a Joliet, Montana. Yeah, there is a documentary called Freedom Downtime, which I highly recommend. Freedom Downtime. Uh, I especially recommend the DVD because it has like 27 alternate language tracks. Oh, wow. And, uh, or, or not, maybe not alternate language. It has a lot of alternate language tracks and it also has a whole crap ton of captioning options. One of the captioning options, what they did was they took the script or not the script. They took the dialogue, translated it to, I think, Korean and then German or something. And then back to English and stuck it back in. It is one of the most hysterical things ever that I've ever seen, but it's a very serious documentary though. There's one part where they're going to, I think it's the DEF CON convention Uh at the Plaza Hotel in Las Vegas, and they're driving to it, and they're like, oh, God, this is going to take forever to get there, and they come across a sign that says, Las Vegas, next exit. They're like, wait, already? And so they go to the Plaza Hotel in Las Vegas, and they're like, hey, where is everybody? And uh, they're saying, hey, there's supposed to be a big hacker convention here at the Plaza Hotel. This is the Plaza Hotel, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the guy says, did you mean Las Vegas, Nevada? <laughs> They're like, oh, 
But anyway, sorry about that. Speaking of Las Vegas, Nevada, literally as we were recording this, we got another email from Plaid Mouse who says, I just posted on the Pie Factory podcast uh, thread on Atari Age, but I'll let you know here as well that I just went to Las Vegas and got to visit the Pinball Hall of Fame Museum. I also got the high score of Mario Brothers. And he sends some pictures, some really cool pictures, just a few yeah. of them. Uh, I have not, I've only been to the Hall of Fame in 2017 when it was on Las Vegas Boulevard outside of everything. Uh, I think it's uh, right before the Welcome to Fabulous Las Vegas sign. They have since moved mm-hmm. and they're in a different location now. I don't remember where because I I, I've been to Vegas once since. I think it was, uh, it was last year we went and mm-hmm. I didn't go that time. Oh, dude. My son has the, uh, the Lego uh, Las Vegas architecture set. And it's got a, a <laughs> and it's got like the Bellagio and the Stratosphere and the, and the yeah. Win. And it's also in front of all of it. It's got a little tiny Welcome to Las Vegas site. It's neat. Oh, that's cool. That's a great set. I yeah, like the lady that one. who designed that only recently died. Oh, really? Yeah. The site is a lot bigger a than lot. you think it is. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's another one downtown too. So oh, is welcome there? to fabulous downtown Las Vegas. But anyway, oh, you know what? I think I have seen that one. Anyway, yeah, he sent a, a picture of uh, his uh, high score Mario Brothers, and he sends. There's also a picture of the outside of the museum. I don't know if it's the angle of this, uh, just the angle he took, but it the sign looks like intimidatingly huge. But it's a it's a really cool sign. It kind of looks like the Welcome to Fabulous Las Vegas sign. It has a little like pointy thing uh, with the asterisks all over it. It looks really cool. And uh, there's a sign in the front of the building in huge red letters, PINBALL! <laughs> so um, if uh, Plaid Mouse is okay with us sharing the, sharing these pictures, I can't get them if he sent them to us. I mean, you know, but uh, I would love to share them with uh, all of you listeners at uh, the show notes page at piefactorypodcast.com. Do you see these pictures? Do you have them open? No, I don't. Yeah, it doesn't have any pictures of the inside, which is okay. But you know, I st- I still love what he sent. This is really cool, and I love how the start buttons are actually labeled with a piece of paper. Start button. In case you can't figure out what the player one, player two start buttons mean, I guess <laughs> on the Mario Brothers uh, cabinet. Yeah, thank you, Plaid Mouse. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to to uh, Plaid Mouse and uh, just to make sure it's okay to share the pictures. I'm sure, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it if it were. So, uh, yeah, I figured better ask. So, uh, thank you, Plaid Mouse. Uh, do you have anything to add to uh, Plaid Mouse's uh, feedback? There, responses. Nope, or anything? I have nothing to add. It's always nice okay. to hear from our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if uh, you'd like to reach out to us, uh, you can email us at uh, Pie Factory or Pie Factory Podcast at fab4it.com fab4 is spelled fab number 4 it.com and of course we're on twitter well you'll you'll hear our twitter stuff i don't remember what our twitter address is but you'll hear it in the at the end of the the uh, episode um we're we're on uh, discord uh, we have a permanent link that we'll eventually share on our website when when our website is revamped and relaunched eventually <laughs> Oh boy, piefactorypodcast.com is our website. Uh, we're on Atari Age. Uh, we have a thread on the Games and Publications Forum. And yeah, we're on Facebook. Hopefully, we get on Blue Sky. Ooh, do you think the Blue Sky Rangers are on Blue Sky? Uh, seeing as, uh, no. Oh, seeing as okay. the lead one is dead. 
That's very true, yeah. What was yeah. his name? It was... Um, it was Keith something or other, wasn't it? Keith, uh, yes, it was Keith... Um, Hope it wasn't Keith Sheehan, because I just chatted with him <laughs> a couple of days ago. Robinson. Keith Robinson. Keith, that's right, yes. Oh, speaking of Keith Sheehan, there's a fun fact about him. Oh? He's one of our Patreon supporters. No. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Really? And he, along with uh, Christian Williams and Mike Hat NJ and Dean Schmidt and Atari Bites and Mark Super and Nate Lockhart and Kevin Bean and Timmy Mack and Daniel Chavez and Rory Coleman and Retro Game Club Podcast and Underground Retrocade and Richard Valdez and the SNES Podcast and Plaid Mouse and Kurt Musgrave and PJ Steele and D. Alex. They're all Patreon supporters. They have access to cer- certain things that not everybody has access to. But thank you all for um, supporting us. Uh, if you uh, did not hear your name on that list and would like to, uh, you can listen to our booth announcer at the end of the episode, and she'll tell you uh, what you need to do. So uh, what else do we have to say before we sign off? Uh, how about we reveal the games for our next episode? Oh, yeah, please do. What games are we going to game? Yeah, let's talk about uh, Astro Invader and Astro Fighter. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I see a theme. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> man or Astro Man. Oh, I think I know what he's talking about with Astro Invader. Oh, man, I've been actually wanting to talk about that for a while. Oh, so, okay, yeah. well, we're going to do it. Good and, call. Uh, we got Good an idea call. for a special episode, but uh, we won't reveal anything about that just yet. Nah, nah, nah. Nah, especially because we're still trying to figure out how to get our other idea for a special episode recorded. <laughs> yeah. So that was supposed to happen, but yeah, yeah you know what happens. But you know, yeah. crap happens. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, why don't we end this so I can take care of certain business? Oh, you have to uh, visit Uncle Pooh? Visit the Tinkle Pit with Uncle Pooh. I never said so. So, oh. Yeah. Alrighty. So, uh, all right. We will talk to you all again in a few weeks, and we hope you listen. And, Tell your friends about us, and tell your enemies about us, and tell just complete strangers about us, and, you know, who knows, maybe someday you'll make us rich. Yeah, yeah. Probably not, but one can dream. So. Mm. From Pie Factory South, this is Jimmy G. And from Pie Factory Headquarters North, this is Sean. And support your local arcade. Tropica. This episode of the Pie Factory Podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goebel. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Pie Factory Podcast. <laughs>